you found the Digging Oak Island podcast, the podcaster's journey to discover the truth behind the Oak Island mystery. I'm Dave McBride. Thank you so much for downloading and listening. If you've been listening to and enjoying our little show, please help us out by becoming a patron. Go to patreon.com slash Island to learn more. Right, before we get started, let's talk some more about that Patreon page again. Guys, if you think this podcast is worth five bucks a month to you, you'd like to see the podcast keep going, keep going strong, remain as ad-free as possible, please consider helping us out by becoming a patron of our show. You can go to Patreon, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N, patreon.com slash Island and sign up. Patrons get exclusive access to a live chat during the U.S. broadcast of each new episode of The Curse of Oak Island. Love that chat. Always great fun. Last night's was fabulous, too, as I'm recording this on Wednesday, the day after the uh, most recent airing of The Curse of Oak Island. Uh, so come and join us. Again, patreon.com slash Island to sign up, support the podcast. It's five bucks a month. You can cancel any time. And I want to thank our new patron, Thomas, for joining this week. Thank you, Thomas, so much. Thanks for listening. Thanks for being part of the family here at Digging Oak Island. Um, and also, if you prefer not to do the monthly thing, I get that, right? You can also make a one-time donation to the podcast via Venmo. Just use the username at Dave McBride Music. My job when I'm not podcasting is a musician. That's kind of my virtual tip jar, uh, so to speak. And I want to send out a huge thank you to Mark for his generous donation. Uh, thank you both, Tom and Mark. Your support means everything to me and my family helps to keep this going. Thank you so, so much. As always, let's start today's podcast with emails and messages from you, the listeners. And listen, folks, I'm trying to get this podcast out as early as I can this week. Also, for the next couple of weeks, I'm in a little bit of a time crunch because I got some commitments uh, out of state. So what I'm doing here is I'm reading these and I'm going straight from notes. We're just doing it live here, so to speak, uh, to try to uh, get this out as quickly as possible and uh, get you guys the content you deserve. Okay. Here's our first email. This comes from Andy. He writes, I'm glad they revisited Nolan's cross as part of another theory. If the cross is as unique as they say, seems like it must be very relevant. But have they ever fully explained its origin physical investigations into it? For instance, are the rocks the, the only of their size or kind on the island? Or are there others that are similar and could be linked? How big and heavy are these rocks? And based on that, how difficult would they have been to move and to be uniquely placed? And lastly, depending on how heavy they are, have they been moved since and explored underneath them? Oh, thanks, Andy. Andy, these are all great questions. Um, some of them I don't have the answers for, and I'll tell you why as we get to them. So let's go through them one-on-one. -on -one. Your first one uh, is, have they ever been fully explained its origin or physical investigations into it? No. They have not. Uh, much like many things on the island, it remains a mystery. And for many, many years, it was guarded behind the veil of Fred Nolan's secrecy. I mean, he released it, he showed people it, um, and but he did not allow independent investigations and things like that generally on there. Since then, a lot of people have done things to see just exactly, Corey and Maul being one of them, just to see how exactly... Uh, symmetrical and in line these things are. It really is quite amazing. Um, the team has done surprisingly little investigation into it. I thought once the Tom Nolan 
that once Tom Nolan became part of the sort of the fellowship here, that that would open the door for that. We got a couple of little scenes here and there, but no, we have not done that. Um, there's supposedly a face carved on one. We've seen a little bit of that. Nobody, no expert actually on to, uh, to say whether or not it is. It's something I would love to see them get back to. I think it's something everyone would love to see them get back to. Uh, you also asked, um, are they the only rocks of their size or kind on its island? Let me say this. I've never been to Oak Island, but I know a lot of people who have, and I think I could tell you pretty, with pretty much certainty that they are not the only rocks of this size on this island. You go even to the coast, along the coast of Maine, or up in, you know, anywhere where the rock beach ends and the rocks begin, you find boulders this size and islands and things like that all over the place. That's not the mystery. The mystery is why are they so, <laughs> so lined up? That's what seems weird. Uh, how big and heavy are the rocks? That's a great question. Um, I don't know. In the tons, uh, how difficult would they be to move and uniquely placed? Unbelievably difficult, but not impossible, but unbelievably difficult. <laughs> um, have they been moved and explored underneath them? I think maybe one of them has. I think Fred Nolan claims to have moved one of them. Um, but again, it's shrouded a little bit beyond behind the, the secrecy of the Fred Nolan years. Anyway, thanks, Andy. Great questions. And hopefully we'll get back to this. I agree with you. I'd like to see a lot more of this. All right, let's go to another uh, email here. This one comes from and uh, sorry from Lee, who writes, Hi, Dave. Hope you and the family are well. Uh, I've been listening to your podcast for the last few seasons and love it. Your enthusiasm, knowledge, and perspective really adds another dimension to watching the show on TV and then this the next day when driving to work. We are a bit behind here in the UK. We've got season 10, episode 9, airing this coming Wednesday. I believe you are up to episode 14. It's a shame that we're out so much as I'd love to take part in the live chat you host. Yeah, it is fun. Uh, my thoughts on the show are that it's never going to be perfect, especially the way it's edited, but it's so enthralling and interesting from a historical exploration standpoint that we keep coming back week after week for more. My, my most frustrating point is the repeats of information during the show when there must be so much more content they could add into each episode. Take care until the next time, Lee. Lee, uh, that is a common, common <laughs> complaint about the repeating. I've said I think what they should do is put it like maybe two-minute segment at the top of each show a previously on. Um, I think that'll get a lot of it out of the way and kind of get people up to speed and that's what they want rather than injecting it in here and you know of course there's a ton of content i mean every time a theorist comes into the uh the the war room there's usually they're in, usually in there for an hour or more hours and yet uh we only get to see three minutes of it or something like that so yeah absolutely i i totally totally agree with you thanks for the email lee okay uh a listener out there named reginald sent me a podcast link for Scott Walter. Now, Scott Walter is a ge ge uh, forensic geologist. Um, he is uh, one that definitely um, believes in the theory of the Templars coming to uh, North America, pre-Columbian era by the Templars. Um, I'm not sure what he believes about other things the Templars might have done. He finds a lot of documents. He's also the guy who disputes the Xena Halpern map almost completely. He considers it to be um, not genuine, you know. Uh, so he's he's a guy with, um, we used to have a show on the History Channel. He doesn't anymore. 
Uh, I can't remember. I think it was called America or History Unearthed or something like that. I can't remember the name of it. But anyway, Reginald sent me this podcast. He said it is uh, on the, just for you guys to hear, a Fade to Black podcast um, where he talks about Templar Knights documents and maps. Reginald, I have not had time to listen to that yet, um, but I will and I'll get back to you. I just wanted to make sure you knew that I got your email there and wasn't ignoring it. And I also wanted to put out there this um, this podcast in case anybody else is list- interested in listening to what he has to say. It's He's always got fascinating stuff and he's well-researched on the Templars. He does lean pretty heavily towards the theory and he's pretty sure that the Templars were here. So um, you got to keep that in mind. Anyway, let's finish up with Chris who writes, Hi, Dave. Where has all the coconut fiber gone? Sounds like the beginning of a folk song. In earlier seasons, the show made a big deal about it. I have not seen any mention of it or seen on screen at all in a very long time. I'm just curious about that. Additionally, the well in the swamp is very interesting to me, but I'm a little surprised that they just take the single date from a fe- of the feature from Dr. Spooner without additional testing. Perhaps that is because it fits their narrative, but I would think one would want to conduct further testing to assess a more definitive date. I appreciate your podcast and the insightful view you bring. I agree with you. I find the archaeological stuff most fascinating and would love it if the show would focus more on that than far-fetched theory. Keep up the good work. Best regards, Chris. Chris, um, the coconut fiber, I mean, in the early seasons, we did talk about that quite a bit. Um, We have not gone back to it. It is found mostly in Smith's Cove, and they just haven't excavated Smith's Cove. Uh, It is, I've said this before, I'm not that fascinated by the coconut fiber. And when you first look at coconut fiber, you think to yourself, how could coconut fiber have gotten there? I mean, coconuts are nowhere near, (laughs) you know, Nova Scotia. The problem is, Coconut fiber was ubiquitous in shipping for a very long time. It was put in the holds of ships to keep stuff from moving around, sort of their first packing peanuts of its day, right? So they were everywhere. So how could a lot of coconut fiber wash up on a beach? A shipwreck. You know, a shipwreck off the shore during a storm, coconut fiber gets washed up on the beach. That's just, to me, that seems the most logical explanation for this, rather than somebody using coconut fiber as a filter of some kind, or whatever the theory is that you're ascribing to. So, uh, you know, I'm not sure they're going to go back to that one, be honest with you, but they might, because it is an interesting thing to to look at. It is different. Um, Now, your other question about the feature and the dating, I think my feeling is this the dating of it and i think i even said this during the podcast when the dating came out i just kind of tossed it out because let's face it it doesn't help the what are we talking about now are we talking about people coming here in the 1100s or in the 1700s because we're kind of using those two narratives at the same time for the same feature in the same lot. I mean, we're talking about every time we talk about the well, we seem to talk about Samuel Ball or Captain James Anderson. Well, these are people who were there in the 18th century, not in the 12th century when this was made. So it seems like what they're kind of working on now is somebody might have used this? I, I don't know. It's it, The theory behind what it is is very unclear at this point, um, and it's unclear to me. So I'm really just, what I would say to you, Chris, is let's just hang on to that one and see where it goes. Okay, that's it for the emails this week. Don't forget, if you want to drop me an email, you can do so. Island at gmail.com. Let's take a break and come back with episode 14 of The Curse of Oak Island. 
All right, it is time to discuss Season 10, Episode 14 of The Curse of Oak Island called Getting the Shaft. Folks, I say this a lot, uh, but I really mean it this week. It's going to be a shorter podcast because there was some stuff in this episode, but there wasn't a whole lot. There was a lot of a lot of reflection on older things like we were talking about in the email uh, section there. Um, there were a couple of neat things worth discussing, but nothing definitive. And you'll see what I mean as we get through it. Okay. So we're going to, and there's only two places to talk about the money pit and lot 26. So let's begin with lot 26. Uh, the first scene we see over there is Emma and Laird uh, showing Rick and Dr. Spooner this new well feature that we've been talking about. Rick calls it, quote, a human contrived edifice like a well where you might store something important. And I kind of had to stop there in my tracks and watch it again and listen to what he's saying because I can't figure out what he's talking about. Now, they're referring to some crevices inside this well. And Dr. Spooner says you can put your hand in there or something like that, whatever it was he said. Um, I don't know. Can, correct me, folks, if I'm wrong. Send me an email, diggingoakisland at gmail.com. But why would you store something in a well? I mean, why would you do that? It, it doesn't it doesn't make any sense to me. I can't I can't figure out what they're trying to get at there. Why would you store something in a well? It's a very strange place to store something. Uh, you know, and anyway, it, it kind of made me stop and think about it for a second and try to go through in my head what exactly it was that they're referring to, you know, and even. Beyond that, Steve uh, on the Patreon said, again, a dug hole filled with water isn't necessarily a well. And Steve, you might be right on that, but the rocks that are there certainly look like it might be something like that. Seems more than just a dug hole. And then you also responded with, guess it could be a well that dried out and was abandoned or filled a watering hole, a fish, a fish hatcher. Yes, there are other options for sure, especially the shallow nature of the well and also where this well is located, right? Again, what we've been worrying about from the beginning, what we've been wondering about from the beginning, and what Laird is still wondering about is if this is a well for natural water, why would you have it right there on the beach where, you know, a good wave can fill it through with water you can't do anything with, you know, and that, that kind of stuff. There's, there's a lot of questions behind it, and I think we're still kind of getting into what it might be. The more we talk about it, though, the more the experts who are on the island seem to be sure it's a well. So anyway, it's important to keep that in mind, I guess. And that just seems like the most uh, the most important thing to 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 lean on here are the people who are actually have eyes on it. Uh, Jeff wrote this. The well is very strange. And you're absolutely right, Jeff. I mean, well or not, it is a weird feature. I can't figure out why it's there. Uh, and I think, again, this is just going to be one of those things that has to evolve. All right. So while they're looking at this well and they've been working, the archaeologists have been working on the well, Gary and Jack Begley have been detecting on the lot a little bit up from the well, kind of inland. Um, they find what Gary says is the handle off a spoon or a fork, and then they find a button, kind of the normal things you one would have. Um, and then the next scene we see is back at the well where they've brought in Terry DeVoe. Now, Terry DeVoe is a sort of historical expert in that area, um, and Laird was the person who asked to bring him in, at least in the show. So they bring him in to take a look so he can see what the well looks like. Uh, and he says, quote, 
people have been building wells like this for thousands of years. And then he also says it's universal across cultures. So at first, he doesn't seem all of that flummoxed by it. He says, it's pretty cool. It's old. We, you know, whatever it might be, but he doesn't seem all that flummoxed. Then he kind of says it reminds him of the well at New Ross. They show us some pictures of the old scenes from the New Ross um, uh, exploration that they did a few seasons back. I don't really see it. The new Ross well is much deeper and very clearly a well when this is much shallower and I'm not really sure that it is just a well. Um, again, the fish hatchery or something like that is, you know, Steve, you got, you're onto something there maybe. But again, the experts agree it's a well. New Ross is a location in Nova Scotia where uh, it's one of these places where um, people theorize the Knights Templar might have built it. Uh, and there have some, there's a Templar cross on a rock and there's you know, a couple of different features and that kind of stuff. That's what New Ross is. You could certainly look that up. It's a fascinating little, little part of Nova Scotian history. Uh, and they've talked about it on the show. So anyway, Terry kind of making that connection, uh, you know, I, I, I'll, I'll, I'll default to him. I'll, I'll, I'll agree with him because if he thinks it does, then it does because he's seen both of them and I have not. But just from the shots that we're seeing on the show, I don't know. You guys tell me what you think. Anyway, we end off lot 26 with Jack and Gary detecting again. This time they find what uh, Jack or Gary says a brooch or a buckle. Um, and they're both extremely excited about the fine high-fiving, calling it treasure, all that kind of stuff. They immediately take it to the Interpretive Center to show Laird, uh, Emma, Rick, um, Craig Tester is there, so is Billy Gerhardt. Uh, it's all kind of dirty. It's hard to see exactly what it is until Emma puts it in this little CT scanner. Um, you know, and also, even before he puts, she puts it in the CT scanner, Gary says he look thinks it's masonic i mean gary has a, a tendency to kind of get a little <laughs> ahead of his skis a bit on some of these things uh the ct scanner gives us certainly a lot more detail and we could see and i think uh laird says pretty definitively that it is without doubt some form of jewelry and it is it's got leaves on it and it looks ornate it looks beautiful um i'm not sure it looks like treasure <laughs> I'm not sure it looks like, I don't know why, if it was part of a larger treasure, why it would be here. It seems to make more sense that somebody who had this fell off their coat or whatever it might have been, didn't realize it. Uh, I don't know. But let me go to the patron, uh, Patreon again. A few people made some great comments about this, um, and I think this is really kind of cool. I know Jeff said, gotta say that brooch uh, looked pretty cool in that magnetometer imager for sure. Uh, Ginger said um, the clasp looked like something, looked like what a high-class expensive item would require. So we, I think we can definitely agree on that. Just from looking at the nature of the way it's made, it does look pretty cool and pretty ornate. And if, I don't know, could it be part of, I mean, we talk a lot about uh, Samuel Ball's mysterious wealth, you know, could he have bought something like this as this, and then it fell off him, or could it have been on a, you know, in a, in a bag on the back of a wagon that came out, who knows, there's a lot of explanations, but here's what I do know, we're going to need to find out a lot more about this, and I think this item, I think we could say pretty sure, this item is going to be a topic of conversation for a few weeks to come.
All right, again, I apologize for all the stumbling and fumbling on my words here. I'm trying to get this out for you guys as quick as we can here. So let's go to the money pit to finish up today's podcast. Um, we start off with the garden shaft. Rick and Jack Begley are there. The garden shaft is down at 23 feet deep when uh, they head over there. The guys from the Dumas uh, Mining Company says they are removing from it backfill, what he calls, quote unquote, backfill. And then he also has this weird quote, the guy from Dumas. He says, quote, they were careful as to what they dumped in there. I wonder what he meant by that exactly. It's a, it's a weird thing not to follow up on. Is he saying that he thinks that they weren't trying to dump back wood or something? It's hard to say. What it sounds like to me is that the searchers who used the money, the, uh, the garden shaft, and failed at whatever they were trying to do, filled it in rather well and rather nicely with dirt and backfill and not just dumped everything back in there. That kind of what it means to me, but I don't know. The way he said that was strange. Um, again, none of it was really explained. I didn't really get a lot of this. Let me go to uh, Neil on the Patreon who asks a question about the garden shaft and about the garden shaft project that I think is really good and that we're going to come to later on as this goes on. He says, uh, why are they only digging the, the garden shaft to 80 feet? It makes no sense. I think because, and I'm pretty sure I'm right about this, I think because that's as far as it was originally dug. And all Dumas can do is, at this point, is refortify what was already put in there. Am I making sense on that? It sounds like that's kind of where they're going with this. So anyway... That's the answer to your question, Neil. I hope, hopefully, I'm right. I'm not really sure. Let's continue on with the garden shaft. All right. So the next thing we see related to this project is in the war room. What we have here is Dr. Spooner and Dr. Michael, who uh, we've seen before. They're the ones kind of leading up uh, this water project. Um, there's another doctor, Dr. Lukeman, too, but he wasn't here for this one. Um, they're doing this sort of water samples, precious metal in the water samples thing. And they've got some water sample results from the area that we've dubbed the blob. This is the area kind of just off the garden shaft, the north end of the mon of money pit, the place where the doctors think the source of this precious metal finds in the water, traces of precious metal, could be located. He says, Dr. Spooner says that the Besides the gold and silver, it also is made up of copper, zinc, and tin in many of the samples. Now, those things in combination make up brass or bronze. So obviously, those are, I mean, they may not be as precious as gold and silver, but certainly a lot of very valuable items for a very long time uh, have, were made out of brass or bronze. Um and the doctors also add here, they don't give us an explanation, but they add that they don't think this testing is natural. They don't think these are levels found um, naturally in the area. I don't know why that is. I know that question is going to be asked by some people out there, but that's what, needless to say, that's what they say. Um, Spooner then gives them a new kind of narrowed down area, what they call a baby blob. It's a smaller area, which is about 20 feet by 20 feet, kind of a narrower target for them to uh, kind of drill in. Now, the next thing they decide is they're going to drill, do some borehole, dr borehole drilling in this area. Now, in the previous episode, we were told they wouldn't be able to do that because of its proximity to the garden shaft. I suppose... That's changed here because what we next see is 
a new borehole being drilled in this baby blob. It's borehole DN 9.5. And uh, they're pulling up these core samples and it's very exciting. I mean, we're hitting a target that they're telling us that the doctors, that the, that the scientists are telling us would be the source of gold, silver, copper, zinc, you know, all this kind of stuff. So they drill down the first sample, which is like up to 95 feet is nothing but solid dirt. Then they take another core sample that's something at like 90 feet or more, and it's more dirt. Now, they try really hard here to point at some of the softer dirt, which I think gives them a little hope, thinking that it might be backfill of some kind. And they're hoping that what they're kind of doing is saying, oh, the next, the next sample should show us. And they get to the next sample, and there was nothing there. The narrator says after the break that the team found, quote, hum- evidence of human activity. And I have to stop and ask what on God's green earth was he talking about? Because this hole came up almost completely empty. There was nothing here. There was nothing really to, it was, it was just dirt. So it's obviously a miss. Uh, I don't know if they didn't go deep enough or what have you, but I would hope they would know that. Certainly they went as deep as the water samples were being given. So we know that for sure. Now, the whole episode ends with this great scene of Rick going down to the garden shaft. He's been saying for the entire series, the entire season, and certainly for uh, the last, uh, certainly in this episode, that, boy, he just wanted to get at the bottom of the garden shaft. He wanted to go down under the ground in the money pit area like so many have before him. And here he gets his chance to do it. Um, Rick and Scott Barlow suit up. They go through what is obviously a pretty heavy lecture on safety and go down prepared for everything. Remember, people have died in holes uh, in shafts on Oak Island, so there is a potential of of problems and certainly of life-threatening problems. And then they go down. Rick waxes poetic for quite a few minutes about the experience and, and really how much it means to him. You could see it now. Unfortunately for Steve on the Patreon, who offered up five to one odds that Rick cries, uh, Steve, I believe you lost. Uh, because I don't remember seeing him cry. Uh, the other thing that was really kind of cool on the Patreon was Jeff writing um, that these Dumas guys are impressive. I think they need to hire them to build shafts and tunnels throughout the entire area. I mean, look at what they're doing, right? It is impressive, impressive work. And what was really cool here was that little glimpse she got of Rick playing with the original shaft that's there. Let's see what these guys can make out of this. It's a great project, but... What is it going to lend for us? What is it? How is it going to pay off? I mean, there's hopefully more to it than just getting Rick and Marty Lagina down to the bottom of the money pit or down underground in the money pit. It just doesn't seem to make a whole lot of sense to me that that's all this is for. So hopefully there is more to it. Um, so anyway, that's it. I know Steve also asked that Marty or Ginger and Steve both pointed out that Marty wasn't there for this and that Marty seems to be off island. Uh, more this year and certainly in the last couple of seasons. I think you're right. Um, certainly seen that way. I'm surprised he wasn't there for the going down the money pit, going down into the garden shaft. But you can bet your bottom dollar we're going to get that scene in the not-too-distant future. All right, that's going to do it for this episode of the Diggin' Oak Island podcast. Again, I apologize 
for sort of the quick off the cuff nature here. I'm trying to get this done as fast as I can so I can get it out to you. I'm going to really struggle next week to get out a podcast. If I can't for one reason or another, because I have a lot of work commitments, I'll let you guys know on our Facebook and Twitter pages and on the Patreon page that I won't be able to do it. We may have to double up the next week, but I'm going to do everything I can to try to get that show up to you uh, next week. Um, Don't forget, you can really help out the show by becoming a patron. If you think the show's worth five bucks a month to you, head over to patreon.com slash digging Oak Island to learn more. There's some exclusive stuff on there. There's some content that I've written. If you go through the posts, some back content that I've written, there's also all of those chats from the uh, episodes, the, the live chats that we do during the airing of each new episode. So come on over, become part of the family. Uh, if you prefer, you can also make a one-time donation to the podcast via Venmo. Just use the username at Dave McBride Music. Okay, if you'd like to help out the show in another way, and you don't, and you don't want to get into the money thing, I get that. You can do us a big favor by giving us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts or anywhere you get your shows. Uh, thanks to everyone who's done that. I really do appreciate it, and I really do appreciate the time you take to uh, write the kind words. It's fantastic. Thank you so much. You can also follow the show uh, on Facebook and Twitter. We're at Digging Oak Island. And if you have any questions or comments that you want to send directly to me, you can do so via email at digginoakisland at gmail.com. And I always like to give you this warning. Uh, Keep in mind, if you send me an email, I'm probably going to answer it here on the show. Same with a direct message on social media. I'm probably going to answer it here on the show because your questions usually are pertinent to everyone out there listening. So I like to be able to answer them on the show here. Uh, So if you don't want your message read aloud for whatever reason or you don't want your name mentioned or anything, just make a note of that. I'll do the best I can, okay? Well, as Dave Blankenship used to say, it is crown time. So until we speak again, I'm Dave McBride. Thank you for listening to Digging